I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm Carrie Freeman, the host, coming to you from Atlanta in September of 2022. Today, we're going to be talking about how nature thrives on cooperation and mutual aid between species, rather than focusing on the competitive or violent elements in nature. Prompted by a new book called Sweet in Tooth and Claw, Stories of Generosity and Cooperation in the Natural World by award-winning author Kristen Olson. Kristen Olson is a freelance journalist based in Portland, Oregon, but she grew up in a small agricultural town in California's Sacramento Valley, where her love of nature and science was nurtured. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Orion, Discover, Gourmet, Oprah, and many others. Her magazine work has been anthologized in Best American Science Writing and Best American Travel Writing. The Los Angeles Times called her book, The Soil Will Save Us, a hopeful book and a necessary one, a fast-paced and entertaining shot across the bow of mainstream thinking about land use. Her website is kristenolson.com. The last name is spelled O-H-L-S-O-N, O-H-L-S-O-N, Kristen with a K. We are here to talk about Kristen's newest book, Sweet in Tooth and Claw, Stories of Generosity and Cooperation in the Natural World, published by Patagonia. It presents a paradigm shift in how scientists think about the mutually beneficial interactions that they believe support every species on Earth, including humans. It offers an alternative understanding of nature, one fostering coexistence and aid, a perspective crucial to rolling back and preventing further damage to our planet. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, thank you for having me on your show. Well, first I have to say how beautiful this book is. I'm knocking on the hardcover right now. Um, don't you think it's beautiful? It is stunning. You know, when I first uh, when I first realized that Patagonia was uh, using such beautiful photographs, I was I was just floored. Yeah, you're lucky as an author, you know that that's the kind that they're investing in a book. Because I would say for our readers that. It looks, it's like a cross between a coffee table picture book and like a novel or something, because it's thick at 400 pages and like, but it's like heavy and substantial. So it's not like a light paperback. And there's so many beautiful um, color pictures. But what's also cool is that Patagonia, UK, they publish on wilderness and nature topics and their books are printed on recycled paper. It's 100% post-consumer waste and chlorine-free paper. And they use a calculator on the Environmental Paper Network site to calculate how many trees are saved by using the recycled paper and how many gallons of water are saved, how many greenhouse gases weren't emit emitted. I think that's pretty cool. And I wish this was the standard operating practice in, in publishing. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I am so happy that I made the decision to go with Patagonia. There was another company, another book publisher that was interested in the book. Um, back in the book proposal stages, yeah. but I, but I really, you know, Patagonia has a mission to right. respect and preserve uh, the natural world and respect and preserve species. And I, I'm just so happy to be working with them. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great fit for what you're trying to do. And the photo on the cover, let's talk about that. The, the photo on the cover of Sweet and Tooth and Claw shows a couple of birds who are taking turns eating from a cactus flower. Do you know why that was chosen as the cover art or what what um, how that works with the notion of sweet in tooth and claw? Well, I think it's just uh, it just gives the image of congenial wildlife sort of enjoying the bounty of nature. Um, yeah. 
I, I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, I was in that part of the country in Arizona once, um, and noticed some of those birds up on the saguaro cactus. So it was exciting to see that on the cover. Yeah, like somehow the cactus is helping the birds and the birds are helping the cactus. <laughs> kind of, kind of. And there's situation. also a bee floating around. So, ah, you know, it's it's all okay, of nature, yeah. all of nature, you know, sharing in this generosity. Yeah. yeah. And how does that fit with the, well, just in general, the the title is interesting, Sweet and Tooth and Claw, because I imagine that it's a play on the the phrase that nature is red in tooth and claws and like red as in blood or something. Right. Yeah. So uh, that that is a play on the poem uh, on a line in the poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. It was written a couple hundred years ago and it's a very, very long poem. But that one line left yeah. out and has stayed with us over the decades. Nature red in tooth and claw. And I think so many of us have the idea that that is true, you know, that nature, which includes us, is all competition and violent conflict. And, you know, I think that there's some something about our own biology that makes us um, thrill to those kinds of uh, images. You know, we had over, you know, over the millennia, we had to be on, aware of danger. We had to pay attention to danger. And I think even now, we as a species, we don't pay attention. We, we don't acknowledge that the backdrop of all our lives is cooperation. It's connection and coordination. I mean, you know, we live in cities, most of us, 80% of us, I think in the United States live in cities. And um, we are very much aware when something yeah. goes wrong, you know, when a water main right. breaks or when there's a, a fight or, you know, something like that. Hurricane. But, but, or, yeah. Yeah. All those things. But we don't, we don't realize, we don't take, we sort of take for granted that the default is cooperation, you know, that there are traffic lights and people wear bike helmets and people help their neighbors and, you know, people shovel the sidewalk when somebody, when their neighbor needs it, you know, that is the backdrop that we operate within. And we, I think we need to think more about uh, how we are connected and how to repair any of the breakages that occur. And I think most of us understand, and certainly scientists understand that ecology is about interdependence and species relying on each other in a complex web of life. But is the thesis of your book that that we generally focus too much on the like predator prey relationships regarding killing in in nature, kind of like what we tend to see dramatized in wildlife, uh, you know, little documentaries. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's still true in science. Still, It's still true in science that mm -hmm. when uh, people are, when scientists are studying nature, they're looking at uh, competitive, conflicted relationships among species. And it's still a minority of scientific research that looks at um, the cooperative relationships, which, which are, which far predominate, you know, if you look at even us as humans and as animals, um, every cell in our body comes from a cooperative interaction. It comes from uh, 2 billion years ago, one ancient 
single-celled microorganism and another single-celled microorganism came together and formed a new kind of cell called a eukaryotic cell. And so those cells were capable, had the, had the complexity to form multicellular life. And sort of everything that is around us has come from that initial union of those two single-celled organisms. So from the ground floor up, we are built by cooperation. Yeah. And right, I, I like to remind my students that we're social animals, you know, and so like a lot of what we do is to is because we need to belong and we want to belong. And so even though we tend to focus a lot of times on competing with each other, but so I, I really just like the premise of your book. And, and you start off the book in the forest to tell us about the scientists who've recently learned about the connected web underground, including beneficial fungi. Uh, that's necessary for a forest to thrive, centering around mother trees. Can you tell us about this and, and why you opened the book with like in a forest? Well, really the book, this book, um, so my last book was called The Soil Will Save Us. And in that book, I was so thrilled to discover that plants, um, you know, there's this line that comes out of industrial agriculture that plants, they just take everything out of the ground. They take all the water, they take all the nutrients, they take all the minerals, they leave nothing. So that that sales pitch from industrial agriculture is you need to buy a lot of fertilizer because plants just take it all. So in that last book, I came to the understanding that no, plants don't take it all. They are they are also giving to the soil microorganisms. They're giving some of the carbon fuel that they create during photosynthesis. So there's there's a, a very beneficial mutualism, a partnership between yeah. plants and so, soil microorganisms. So I, I really kind of wanted to build upon that yeah. in this book. And when I heard Suzanne Samard, who's the researcher, who's uh, the forest ecologist who's studying that those beneficial connections between trees and the underground tapestry of fungi. Um, I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do with this book. So really that first chapter was just because that was the first that that, that was my first step into this world. So, you know, her, her work has shown that um, counter to the kind of thinking that a lot of uh commercial forestry companies and you know everybody has is that you know you if when they when they were having their planning their tree plantations they would think that they had to grow trees kind of like um corn is grown on the very most farms yeah. here like a like a row with nothing between them and no other plants could live there because the idea was that the competition from other plants would steal water and nutrients wow. from the trees but Suzanne Samard's work showed that the exact opposite was the case that all these other trees and plants in a forest give to those trees and they give it through this underground network of fungi, which stretch out these tiny threads through the soil. So, I mean, she told me that under our feet, when we walk in a forest, every footstep under that footstep, there are 300 miles of these tiny little wow. fungal threads. So all the, the roots of the trees and the plants in a forest are linked together by this underground network of fungal threads. And through that network, they're sharing water, they're sharing nutrients, they're sharing, they're, they're, they're sending messages to each other. Yeah. I mean, it's just right. phenomenal. Yeah. Right. 
And that you can't just have, obviously you just can't have like a monocrop, but that there's a, the diversity of trees and even certain kinds of plants and trees work better together. So in terms of building a community, so that's why you need that diversity instead of seeing it as competition, as you say, it's support. It's like a community. Right. Right. Just yeah. like a human community. We right. need all sorts of people reaching out to each other and helping each other. Yeah. And another chapter that I really liked in your uh, book, because there's every chapter is a whole new adventure of you going somewhere and interviewing uh, cool people. Can you tell us about your chapter on birds and coffee plantations and how if coffee trees are grown in a complex forest ecology of other trees, not planted as like monocrops and rows in the sun, the birds and the insects help keep this diverse agroecological ecological forest healthy without any insecticides. And it provides right. you know, habitat for all kinds of mammals too. Like, cause in, it was in Costa Rica that you were observing um, this particular uh, coffee grower who was really into this. Yeah, that was Southern Mexico. And then there was another mm -hmm. farm that I went and visited in Costa Rica. Oh, okay. okay. But the coffee, the coffee was in uh, Southern Mexico. Uh, Southern Mexico. Okay. And uh, yeah, what an, what a revelation that was because, um, and it's largely because the owner of the coffee plantation, which is called Finca Irlanda, um, is somebody who loves birds. So he didn't want to remove habitat for birds. In fact, he wanted to increase habitat for birds. Great. So coffee originally, it was um, discovered in Ethiopia and it is an understory plant. It grows underneath in the shade of other plants. And that's how it had been grown until, um, you know, some of the big companies that are touting chemicals um, mm started to push for a, a very different way of growing coffee, you know, clearing area, kind of like we do a cornfield, yeah. you know, clearing areas, growing the coffee in rows, no shade, um, and arguing with farmers that that's a, you know, that it's a more modern way of growing coffee, that it's a, a more Talking a about way of all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and here in this, um, this marvelous coffee plantation where they not only allow the natural forest to, to remain there, but they encourage it. Um, the coffee grows and th there's this really complicated dance of insects and fungi and uh, this complicated dance of maintaining the health of that coffee plant. Yeah, like with so these just, fire ants and these flies and then the birds and then yeah. and the, <laughs> the different fungi. I mean, it's just remarkable. You know, when they were, when, when the scientists who worked there, John Vandermeer and Yvette Perfecto were explaining this to me, it was, it, it was just almost dizzying. It, you know, it's, yeah. there's, there, it's such a, it's such a complex system and they're relying on this, natural complexity that exists in nature. And, and really, it, it sort of underscored for me the idea that, you know, we humans are always trying to simplify nature, we're trying to simplify landscapes for our own um, convenience. Yes. But that really, it turns out to be very inconvenient, because it has all these terrible landscape and climate reper repercussions down the road, and, uh, you know, terrible repercussions for biodiversity, you know, so one of the things that these um, 
these researchers are looking at is, is how can agriculture have some of that complexity and some of that habitat benefit um, that that um, birds and insects need. You, you yeah. know, it's and not enough. Like ocelots and jaguars and stuff in there, I think. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And so it's, it's great to see, yes, yeah, somebody's making a living, humans are getting coffee, but then all these other animals are thriving and then it's, you know, helping the climate. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's so many, so many benefits come so out. So many benefits, so yeah. many benefits. I especially like the quote on page 277, where there was this PhD student was interviewing these Mayan farmers in the highlands of Guatemala about pest control. And they didn't even really know what she meant. <laughs> like, right, right. They, yeah. Like, the, they weren't the interviewer, concerned with that. They, yeah, they were kind of like puzzled. And then she said, well, insects, you have insects that come. Oh, yeah, we have insects. But but because of the way they were growing things, the insects weren't really a problem. And, you know, they even had this idea, well, we'll plant a little bit extra for the insects, you know, that we I all have to live here. We all have to make a living here. Fantastic. I was just like, wow, like they're sharing part of their crops with the insects or there's an expectation that they need to eat too, but it all kind of works itself out. Not this idea that we need to come in and exterminate and cleanse and sanitize everything, um, which is what we tend to do, you know, which is what we tend to do, you know, and, and when, uh, you know, and then there was this one morning at Finca Irlanda, the, the beautiful, um, lush coffee plantation when we couldn't drink the water because of, uh, chemicals that, that the neighboring farm, which was a sun, you know, one of these other kinds of coffee plantations where they're using chemicals and they've eliminated the, the other plants, you know, so it, obviously those measures that we take to simplify landscapes and supposedly go for greater yields, they don't only affect right. the insects and the birds. I mean, they're poisoning the people who poisoning the water of the neighboring yeah. you know, farm. Yeah. And I also, I wanted to say that in general, I, I liked that little um, story about the pest and him not really understanding it. Cause I really dislike the term pest because it perpetuates and excuses violence against anyone given that label. So right. if you just say insects, you know, that like he, that word resonated with him, but not um, the notion of pest because he didn't see them that way. So that I thought well, that's really, that shows the importance of language. Uh, so I was kind of happy <laughs> about that. Right. Too. Yeah. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with award-winning journalist and author Kristen Olson about her latest book, Sweet and Tooth and Claw, Stories of Generosity and Cooperation in the Natural World. Her website is kristenolson.com. Kristen, in the marketing for the book, it says, quote, the book offers an alternative understanding of nature, one crucial to rolling back and preventing further damage to the planet. Unquote. How do you connect this more cooperative view of nature as a necessary paradigm shift in our thinking before we humans might begin to solve the ecological crises we've brought about? Well, I think it's all we always really have to remind ourselves that it's not that the world isn't divided between humans and nature. We are part of nature. We right. come from nature. We evolved out of the natural world. And we exist now, not because we, 
you know, popped out of a box, but, um, and we ourselves are ecosystems. We are filled with microorganisms. We're covered with microorganisms. We're in partnership, even though we don't really think of it or, or haven't realized it until recently, we're in a constant partnership with these microorganisms that live in us and on us. And they perform a lot of crucial uh, health, you know, we wouldn't be healthy functioning beings without them. So I think that we need to change um, this view of nature as being competitive because we need to be more cooperative with the rest of nature. I mean, I think that's the main point. We need to figure out how can we be better partners? How can we um, heal the landscapes that we've damaged? How can we make room for the rest of nature in our cities, on our farms, um, in our parks, at our schools, all of that? So I think that that's the main point. Yeah. And for listeners who are interested in, in reading or learning more about symbiotic and cooperative relationships in nature and how that can inform our own relationships, what other authors or resources would you suggest that they check out? Um, well, there's a couple of things. There's a really great new book out by um, the writer and scientist Liz Carlisle called Healing Grounds climate, justice, and the deep roots of regenerative farming. Um, There is a great book by a friend of mine called Water in Plain Sight. You know, we we worry so much about um, whether there's going to be enough water, you know, whether whether we're just going to all die of drought. And she explains how water is there. It's in the ground. It's you know, when we have, um, when we have whole functioning landscapes, we're going to have plenty of water. And then there's a couple of uh, movies that are out documentaries. One is Kiss the Ground, which um, I happen to be in, but I think it's, (laughs) I think it's a good movie because, you know, it's good. Yeah. It talks about the benefits of healthy soil. And then there's another really lovely movie called To Which We Belong, which taught is all about the interconnections among living things to which we belong. And then the other one was to kiss the ground. Kiss the ground. Yes. Oh, kiss the ground. Okay. Oh, that's great. So in addition to reading your book, those are some other uh, positive. That's what I I like about it. It's just a positive way of thinking of ourselves in connection with nature um, instead of seeing it as competitive or, or scary all the time, because it puts us more in an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the end of our show, but I wanted to thank you, Kristen Olson, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program to give us just a taste of the stories in your book, Sweet in Tooth and Claw. And thanks for inspiring us to see how nature is not always a violent competitive place, but thrives on cooperation, as should we as fellow animals. Take care. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta Radio Station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. 
which as we've learned today is a principle of nature, mutual caretaking. Thank you for listening. Cheers.